Newly Eberty is the art and state of being a woman, and I think that should be celebrated. My name is Michelle Lyons. Welcome to the Celebrate Newly Eberty podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast is for information only and not a substitute for consulting a healthcare professional. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Celebrate Newly Eberty podcast. So today we have Christina Holland on to talk about inclusive care, a trauma-informed approach, and all the things. Christina, thanks a million for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get where you are today? Yeah, so I am working in my own small private practice in the Denver metro area in Colorado in the United States. Um, And I work with folks across the gender identity spectrum, primarily folks with So, uh, but persistent pelvic pain or gender affirming, post-operative gender affirming care, kind of my wheel, favorite wheelhouses. Um, And I got here in kind of a funny way uh, in that I was very positive that I was going to work in pediatrics for the 10 years before I went to physical therapy school Uh, and then spent six. Yeah, I was, I mean, Michelle, I was positive. Everyone was like, don't get, don't get attached to anything. Like, Lots of people, everyone changes their mind. I was like, yeah, yeah, everyone except me, obviously. Like, yes, it's totally normal for people to change their mind, but I would never. Um, And I absolutely did within six months of joining, of going to school. Wow. Uh, So I ended up, I tried, I was going to teach an undergraduate anatomy and physiology class uh, for a tuition stipend. Mm -hmm. And I had to give a teaching demonstration and I picked reproductive anatomy um, and physiology and ended up, long, long story short, ended up at a conference that was intended for providers who prescribe, who primarily prescribed birth control and medication. Um, it, as it relates to pregnancy, fertility, libido, sexual health. Um, and so I was the only person under the age of 30 at the time. And I was also the only person who would never prescribe medication. Like I absolutely did not belong there, but it was the most incredible experience. Um, and one of the quick and dirty talks was a was from a physician who was talking about if your patient is coming into you talking about a libido discrepancy and trying to get in, in a medical medication intervention for that, you have to make sure that they're not experiencing pelvic pain and like kind of talking about how to do that. And this, I mean, this was t- eight years ago. So okay. that was pretty amazing to me. Um, and I had never heard of pelvic floor physical therapy. And so- um, I got very interested very quickly and I started doing a lot of research and I went very quickly from being like, yes, hundred percent, I'm going to work in pediatrics to, oh, I actually like having these kind of more adult conversations. <laughs> and it really honestly pissed me off that women were leaking unnecessarily, having painful sex unnecessarily. And it became, a, you know, from a health equity place, I was really bothered by mm-hmm. it. And that kind of more from being specifically at the time about women ex- experiencing pain and leaking that is unnecessary to folks in general who are experiencing pain and leaking unnecessarily. Absolutely. Um, you know, I just I, I literally had this conversation with a colleague uh, last week about how, you know, we go to these sp- quote unquote special topics lectures, you know, mm-hmm. at an undergrad level, um, if we're if we're again, quote unquote, lucky. Um, And, you know, I feel like women's health is one of those specialist topics because it's not like women ever have rotator cuff injuries or strokes or Parkinson's or that that management might be different. Let's just learn the male model of how things work. 
and the specialist topic of women's health well we'll keep that to bikini medicine you know breasts and Mm -hmm. reproductive health and even with that we'll probably just talk about pregnancy and postnatal a thousand percent and i am incensed with this because it doesn't talk about male pelvic health at all very rarely if ever have i heard of any sort of inclusive terminology being used um Mm -hmm. to acknowledge people of different genders of different orientations but also i think we really need to embrace the concept of of trauma-informed care and i don't want to talk about inclusive care one on one hand and then separately way over here let's talk about trauma-informed care because how can you separate the two of them um if somebody you really can't and it was it was such a pleasure to share the stage with you at Palvicon to hear you talk about all these things together because you you mesh them wonderfully and I think it was very thought-provoking your presentations about that so you know I wonder like to to start the ball rolling when we talk about affirming language and communication in pelvic health what does that look like to you ideally yeah. So everyone has a pelvis. Everyone can benefit from pelvic health care. And so I just call it pelvic health care. I call it pelvic floor therapy, pelvic floor physical and occupational therapy, pelvic floor rehab. Um, and that is very non-ostracizing, again, because everyone has a pelvis, no matter mm-hmm. your gender or your genitals. You know, it's uh, it's just one of those things that we we forget, don't we? You know, it's Every single person. And again, you know, I mean, you could have gone into pediatric pelvic health. Um, <laughs> but I think what you're doing is is really making people stop and think uh, about the assumptions maybe that they have around toileting, around sexual health. Mm-hmm. Um, how, if you were mentoring a young baby physio, kind of coming mm-hmm. into this field, what would be, you know, some of the starting out strategies that you would like to see them engaging with and embracing as part of let's say their intake and their their initial assessment yeah ask as many open-ended questions as possible so that you're not unintentionally expressing your assumptions it's totally normal for us to make assumptions based on someone's external features that is something that our brains as humans do and quite frankly it's been kind of developed in order to keep us safe And um, those assumptions are not correct until we are proven that they are correct. uh, And quite often they're wrong. So I will just tell folks, you know, I don't know anything about someone coming towards me uh, based on their external characteristics. So I just ask, I will ask for their name. I'll ask for their pronouns. Um, I will ask people, what types of sex are you having? Do you currently have, like what kind of concerns are you having with toileting? Um, And I'm not asking specific questions about, if I'm asking people's questions about being partnered, I will ask questions about, are you currently partnered or do you have partners? you know, what are, what's the gender of those, of those folks that you are partnered with? Um, and again, just leaving as much space as possible for people to tell me about themselves without having to con- uh, communicate to me that I was wrong in my assumption before they, they then are able to do so. Yeah. And I, I remember when you were, you were talking about this, you said, and even if you do get it wrong, you know, don't, don't get flustered, mm-hmm. apologize and you know move on acknowledge the mistake that you've made and then you know do better you know as you as you progress as you get used to it I think for a lot of people starting out maybe um they're embarrassed about even asking the questions Mm -hmm. um but the way I like to think about it is like when we started in pelvic health 
you know, how comfortable were we saying the words vagina or anus? Totally. And look at us now. It's all we talk about all day, every day. A <laughs> thousand know? percent. <laughs> That's so, so true. Do you think it's literally just about being mindful and practicing and building those muscles of awareness? Yeah, I do think it is. And I think it's so interesting because once you start asking those questions, I notice that when I speak, especially to other providers or non, non-patients in a non-gendered way, those mm-hmm. folks will then reflect my language back to me often in a non-gendered way, right? And I can just see, and oftentimes people will give me the feedback like, oh, I hadn't thought about phrasing it that way. That's really helpful. Um, so I think just doing that and giving folks around you the opportunity to learn from that or think about it differently, to ask questions, even if you don't get it right all the time, that's totally fine. Be You have to know that you're going to mess it up at some point. Um And that's not just about using the right language, although certainly that's also true. But if you think about trauma-informed care as doing everything that we are able to to mitigate the harm that we are perpetuating against folks, there is no guarantee 100% that we're going to absolutely be certain that we're never going to do harm. So it's so much less about focusing on doing it perfectly and so much more about trying to connect with the person in front of us and do everything we can to be supportive and apologizing when we don't get it right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and, mm-hmm. and you know, how she talks about the importance of, of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And if we think about it, like people are coming to see us, if they're having difficulties with toileting, with sex, with pain, in a very, um, a very intimate part of their bodies, um, mm-hmm. And a part of their body that is not commonly talked about, you know, if you if you break your arm or your leg, people see the sling, they see the cast, they recognize you have a problem and they, they make um, allowances for it. But if mm-hmm. you're coming in because you're having difficulties with your genitals, mm-hmm. um, it they are in a very vulnerable place. And I think if we can bring a little bit of vulnerability to that as well and, and humanity, I mean, Absolutely. you know, just to to really kind of connect to them on a human level. Um, moving away from kind of that old patriarchal kind of power differential medical Absolutely. model to really mm-hmm. kind of meet them where they're at. So I think that that's really important for junior um, pelvic rehab professionals to to remember, yeah. you know, because well, lots of people. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just that. And let's talk about how to do that. Um, I think yep, because please. especially in the trans and non-binary populations, um, folks are often asked to like teach providers and teach other people about how to do it. And that can be um, a lot of labor for the person. It can make them feel like they're not really safe because this provider doesn't know what they're doing. Um, And the reality is, is even if you're like, "Mm, I don't know if I'm using the right language, you know what you're doing in terms of the help that this person in front of you is looking for. Mm -hmm. So I think communicating, you know, hey, I just want to let, I just want to make the space that if I say something that doesn't quite land with you, I would love it if you would tell me um, so yeah. that we can um, make sure that I'm giving you the information that's that's going to feel helpful to you. I want this appointment to be really um, feel supportive. And so if anything I say just doesn't hit the mark, um, I would love for you to tell me that. And then follow that up by asking questions and, and asking like, how does this, how is this landing for you? Does that sound right? Is it okay if I use these words anatomical terms for your gender um, is, or for your genitals, excuse me? Um, is there something else you would like for me to call different parts of your body? And really just asking people what they need. Yeah, without the burden of them having to educate you on the, the rights and wrongs of it, like what's, what's okay with them in this yes. particular situation. Um, 
And then, you know, you've talked as well about using affirming language, whether that's around um, race or mm -hmm. around body parts or disability or weight. Body you, size, yeah. Yeah. Could you expand a little bit about that and just tell us what that might look like again in a clinical situation? Yeah, absolutely. So I always, because this conversation always comes up, I, I try to reflect, to use the language that people, my patients reflect to me, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes though, I'm bringing up the topic before they are. And so then I don't know what language they prefer. So I will often kind of connect to different words. Uh, as an example, if we're talking about people with higher BMIs, uh, people in larger bodies, people in fat bodies, fat people, right? So mm -hmm. I will use all of those terms at once and then see what the patient, what term the patient uses and then reflect that back. So I think if you include them all, you're in a better position than if you only include one of them and that one doesn't land. Uh, oftentimes mm -hmm. I will also say women, birthing folks, pregnant people, right? So all of that is included. Um, and then again, let people reflect what they want back for me. I think actually it's really helpful even for cisgender women who are pregnant and postpartum when we're talking about, so women who are assigned female at birth uh, and have lived experience as women, um, that not everyone wants to be referred to as mama or mommy or oh, I'm allergic know. to that. <laughs> yes. So I stay away from all of them until the, until the patient uses those mm. words and mm -hmm. then I might reflect them back to them, but I'm not mm -hmm. making an assumption about someone's relationship with the words for mother. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I just, oh, it's such a patron. I, I personally find it just a very patronizing way to address anybody because that is your definition now. You know, it's like right. you've proved your worth. What, because you've reproduced? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Anyway, deep breath. Um, <laughs> and I often, you know, I just, I think, I think there's, there's such an amount of gaslighting around that as well, mm -hmm. isn't there? I mean, and uh, traditionally, you know, women have been, um, I would say on the receiving end of a considerable amount of medical gaslighting over the years. I mean, we could we could pick menstrual health and endometriosis as as a great example of that yeah. as well uh, of pain pain relief Pelvic for pain. different conditions. Yeah. And then when you add on, if you're a woman of color mm -hmm. uh, coming into the situation, I mean, we know uh, that that black women giving birth or black mm -hmm. people giving birth mm -hmm. are at a much higher rate of dying. Yes. a much higher danger of dying um, or serious health implications. And so I, I think your mission of creating this safety mm -hmm. um, and vulnerability on both parts is is really important that we, we acknowledge that somebody has had a trauma exposure mm -hmm. just through their lived experience without Absolutely. bringing in anything medically into the mix at all. Yeah. Um, even you, you... Has it ever been badly received when you when you tried to have this conversation with a new patient? No, not one on one. Mm -hmm. um, so and I'm glad you brought that up because I think people are like, oh, what if I ask my like 87 year old cisgender white patient um, like for the, her pronouns and she doesn't she like gets mad about it. One, it's mm -hmm. I, I worked in Georgia and it it happens like I don't want to diminish the fact that it absolutely can occur. Um, and I haven't done that person any harm. I may have caused that person some discomfort, like that person might be uncomfortable, but they're not unsafe. 
um, in a way that is very different than if I use the wrong word or don't leave people the option um, of telling me about themselves. And then those folks actually can be unsafe in a way that it goes beyond just their physical discomfort. So again, from a trauma-informed care lens, I'm trying to mitigate the harm I'm doing to folks. I am not necessarily like, yeah, I don't love making people uncomfortable. And I would, my primary objective is to not do harm. Which brings me round then to if you, we are practicing trauma-informed care to take the best care of the people who are coming in to see us, what does that look like if we ourselves have been through a traumatic experience and, and we have, we're bringing that, that to the table with us? How can we take care of our own traumatic past? Um, mm -hmm. You know, do, do you have thoughts about that? If we're yeah, getting I mean, triggered? I Totally. I, it's so important, right? We are, we are not exempt from humanity. We bring our nervous systems with our, ourselves everywhere. It would be really great if what they taught us in school was like, you just leave it at the door. Um, <laughs> if I could just figure out how to unhook myself from my nervous system. I trust me, that sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, shake it off. Um, well, it sounds lovely. And then you get too far into the dissociation track and you realize it's not actually as lovely as it appears. Um, but in any case, I think if you're feeling yourself get uncomfortable, if you're feeling yourself feel like irritated or angry and that's surprising you, or if you're feeling yourself um, maybe feel like you're going to cry or that you're feeling stuck or that you want to run away. Um, mm. If you're feeling in a way that you are not anticipating feeling when you're in the room with a patient, in all likelihood, there's something going on with your nervous system that you may or may not be aware of. Um, so I think if you have the opportunity, especially if you're newer to this and noticing this, because um, I'm sure you're not new to experiencing it. I think it happens all the time. Um, I think we just don't always notice that it's happening. So if you're new to, to noticing this, if you have the opportunity to excuse yourself for just a second, take a deep breath and kind of check in with yourself and see what's up. Um, I think particularly if you're starting to feel defensive, angry, like, upregulated and activated um, because I think those are the times where we unintentionally do the most harm. Um, and it, it is actually better for you to have an awkward moment where you remove yourself than for you to have a, like a confrontational moment uh, about whatever is happening that's triggering you at the time. I think that's really profound. And I think because I want to kind of just pause and let people kind of absorb and, you know, kind of just think about what you've just said. For me, one of the biggest changes in how I interacted with um, patients, with other people who are coming to see me with problems was when I went and I did a, a coaching course. And to be able to talk to people about really assuming responsibility and mm -hmm. agency over their own health and well-being within the context of past trauma and, you know, the prejudices that people face on a day-to-day -day basis. But also for me, acknowledging that I was not a mechanic and that it's not my job to fix everybody because mm -hmm. I would challenge anybody working in our profession who to say that they have not been in that position where they feel the weight of the world as a responsibility to fix people to to find yeah oh we've all, <laughs> yeah, we're all <laughs> yeah, there we're, absolutely we're all there um and i would love if i think particularly working in pelvic health i think that brings an extra level of intensity to mm -hmm. this because you might be the first person to hear this story 
you might be the first person to reproduce their symptoms. You might be the first person to ask them from a healthcare mm-hmm. perspective about their preferred pronouns, about their, their sexual health and well-being, not from a pathological perspective, mm-hmm. but actually their goals towards moving towards health and wellness. And so I really feel that understanding things, you know, like understanding readiness to change and motivational interviewing and all those skills, I would love to see it becoming more fundamental to our Mm -hmm. profession. What do you do for self-care? How do you fill your own well so that you have this reserve and you can hold this space without draining it, without upregulating your own nervous system? Yeah. Well, one, I want to say that I, I'm not hundred percent su- successful at doing that. Um, I absolutely take things home with me that I don't intend to take home. Um, and I, I want to name something about the nuance of this, because I think I took great offense, especially when I was a younger clinician, um, with people would say like, you can't care more about the patient than the patient cares. And I think that's a little touchy and here's why. I have more resources, I have more knowledge, I have more space, oftentimes for a lot of my patients, especially those who are in crisis, especially those who are in deep, like postpartum depression states, as an example. So I actually think I can provide more care for that patient than that patient can provide for themselves, which is part of why they're coming to see me. But I can't do more for the patient than the patient is willing to do for themselves. Is kind That's of how a really I think important about it. distinction. Yeah. And it's really, it is, it feels very nuanced, but I think it's really important because I also strongly, I have to remind myself of what, of the things that I strongly believe. Like sometimes I will repeat to myself, body autonomy is like top three most important things. So if an individual's autonomy, if I'm saying this to myself and to my patients, and this is like what, what I'm embodying as I live my life, I have to give people autonomy, even if they disagree with me, including the mm. people who are sitting in my office. Um, So that is a self-care mechanism for me is I will, if I leave a particularly like frustrating situation or a patient is doing something that I, that I think is not a great idea. um, I have to remind myself, all I can do is provide unbiased information, as much information as possible and let that person make their own decision. And that is the best thing, the most respectful the most caring, the most trauma-informed thing I can do. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> it's so it? hard. To not get attached to those outcomes. <laughs> A thousand percent. And it's people, so flipping hard. Yeah. And when people see you for a long time too, and you're like, I've like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to give you. I've you're and especially when people are doing all the things that you're like, I really think you're doing all the right stuff. And still we're not quite at the outcome that we're looking for. Um, and I have some trauma informed thoughts on that, but in any case, in that moment, it's so challenging because I absolutely want to be the person that you come to with that stuff. And I want to be able to give you an answer and I don't have any answers sometimes. So what, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? I, especially if people are not making progress or they've kind of plateaued. Uh, and that, I mean, you can identify that in many different ways. I will tell people that I will say like, Hey, mm. here's, you're doing all the right stuff. Um, and so this isn't, I would be very curious about your thoughts, Michelle. So this is a thing I've been thinking more and more about in terms of, especially with those folks who have persistent longstanding symptoms, <sighs> We, I have a little bit of an issue with the fact that we're telling people you're strong and resilient, you're, you're safe, your nervous system is safe, 
And then they're coming into our office repeatedly. And I know that when people are coming into my office, they're thinking about their symptoms even before they get there because they're thinking about, well, what's Christina going to ask me? What am I going to tell her? Are my symptoms any better? Um, and I think that that can be a driver of folks' symptoms. So as an example, I just mm-hmm. saw um, a cisgender male patient after prostate, uh, no, sorry, after testicle removal due to cancer. And he was having like numbness and raw feeling around the base of his penis and in his inner thigh. And I hadn't seen him for probably six to eight weeks. And he said, you know, I was doing better, but just the last week or two, I started noticing more symptoms. And I was like, yes. I said, that's a thing that I see happen quite frequently is that if you were not thinking about your symptoms for like six weeks and then the last two weeks, when you look at your calendar and you see that our appointment is coming up, all of a sudden your whole system goes, oh, better tune back into this because I'm going to be asked about it because this is important because I need to be fixed because there's something wrong, right? And all of that happens instantaneously. Mm. Um, so for him, I we kind of, we did a re-exam. I looked at his objective measures. We mapped things out. And I was like, I think you're doing all the right stuff. I think it's, it's you're getting better. I honestly think that you need time to just go out, live your life, like find joy and function and do all the things you want to do. And if you notice that things are like a little stuck or you have a flare or you feel scared, please come back. Beautiful. I mean, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because, you know, certainly in that post cancer situation as Mm -hmm. well, where every pain is, is my cancer back? Has it spread to somewhere else? So the nervous system I think we'll always be in this permanent upregulated state. Mm-hmm. And what we have to do is just see, can we turn the volume down a little bit? Yep. So this is where I really like to talk about um, diffuse noxious inhibitory controls. Oh, tell me more. Oh yeah, this, this is cool. So I guess I get like, you know, the yoga tuna balls, the massage mm-hmm. balls, and I might get them to, you know, they're, they're telling me, you know, like their, their mastectomy scar is really hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is just achy and sore because they're on tamoxifen and it's just, mm-hmm. and they're not sleeping well and they're back having hot flashes again. Their doctor says they can't have hormone therapy and what am I going to do? And it's all big and in your face. So what we can do is we can look at some of these pains. Let's say the mastectomy scar pain and I get the, the yoga tune balls and I get them to stand against a wall and put them kind of, you know, either side of their SI joint, kind of like mm-hmm. in around piriformis, mm-hmm. which, you know, is kind of like a juicy area for a lot of people. It it's going to, you know, it's going to be tender. And they're leaning back. And I'm saying like, you're controlling the pressure on this first of all. Okay? I want this to be mm-hmm. a strong sensation, but don't push yourself into pain. And so they're leaning back against the balls and it's a really strong input into their nervous system. Mm-hmm. And their brain is like, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, going, okay, and so we're wiggling around a little bit. I'm going, so tell me about your dog. How's your dog been this week? Yeah. And so they start talking about your do- their dog and you can just see the face lighting up and, you know, we're chatting about that. And I'm going, how are those balls doing? And then I go, oh yeah, I forgot about those. I'm going, yes, because mm-hmm. it's a strong input, but you're not in danger from it right now. Uh, and what we want to do is <laughs> I could cry that's so good <laughs> and it's science baby you know for, yeah you know it's got the you know um it's got like this wealth of information you know of, of research behind it but I said what we want to do is like you know the film up the Pixar film up 
and Doug, the dog. And Doug is talking to you and he's loving you and he's engaging you in squirrel. And then Doug's gone over here. Like your brain and your nervous system are a little bit like that. They're very mm -hmm. focused on the cancer and the pain and all the big things. What we want to do is want to give your brain squirrels and, and really focus on the joy and, and turn the attention over there. And it just, it worked. It's been working really nicely for me, <laughs> you know, That's as, as amazing. a concept. I haven't been able to get that buy-in from like a, an experiential place. I, I do so much of the education piece and I try and give yeah. verbal examples, but I hadn't dialed in on what folks can actually do and feel. So thank you so much for that because I'm going to be using it <laughs> all the time. Oh, it's, it's great. Like if you just go and if you go to YouTube, like there's all these great videos with the yoga tuna balls and, you know, kudos mm -hmm. to, to Jill Miller. I, I actually, I love, you can buy on Amazon. Again, I've, I've given Jeff Bezos so much money over the years. If you I can know. find them in your local golf shop, even better. Foam golf practice balls. They're okay. about the size of a ping pong ball, but they're foams. So there's a little bit of give and like foot massage with those. Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. really great way to get people yeah. out of their heads, back into their body. What's going well? Where am I holding tension? Can I let that go? Can I enjoy mm. this sensation? Mm -hmm. And just bringing pleasure back into the mix again. You know, yeah. because you talk you talk about this in your book. We have to talk mm -hmm. a little bit about your book, um, yes. which I love. Um, it's just such a visual treat to leaf through that book. Um, but you even talk about the, just the, the joy of moisturizing mm -hmm. your legs and then feeling them against clean sheets. Yeah. You know, it's bliss. Like, Is, I mean, yeah. I was just reading about it and I was luxuriating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Yeah, I mean, so just first of all, tell people the name of your book and where they can yeah. buy it because I will forget. So it's the playbook for painless sex and it's on my website, www.inclusivecarellc.com. So that's inclusive care because we had a little bit of a glitch there with sent inclusive care if you Google that. But the book is fantastic because it's got really practical tips that kind of take it from abstract concepts of how can we help people with painful sex and you're like okay do this then do this then do this then do this or do this and then you could also try this and yeah. it's like this buffet of choices but it's logically laid out and it's just you know there's no kind of you know it's just it's so straightforward it's beautiful in its simplicity because it's so direct um and i've you know i've been recommending it to people and like what about this? Could you try this? And it just, it brings me joy. Oh, I am so, so thank touched you for creating by that. It. I can't even tell you how touched I am by that. It, um, that book like really started as just a project during COVID that has now expanded beyond to a total life of its own. Um, but I am glad that you appreciate the simplicity because, you know, I have so many thoughts about things <laughs> and there, those things, the, the why is not represented in that book it's not the why it's the how and then you can try no. a couple different hows and there's like a recommendation yeah. depending on how you describe your symptoms but if that doesn't work for you try these other things so yeah no why lots of how it's fabulous and you even resisted putting in like references and citations uh, do you know uh, how hard that I know was? <laughs> I know I know how hard that must have been for you <laughs> Well done. You resisted, you <laughs> triumphed. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are no superscripts in the book. <laughs> Did it hurt? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> 
Okay, so before we wrap up, I have to ask you, I saw on Instagram a little while ago that you have picked a word for the year. <laughs> yeah. That might, that might throw some people off. Tell us what your word for the year is. My word for the year is no. I'm just going to exhale here. <laughs> the freedom, the freedom mm-hmm. of no. Why did you pick no? Because, I have, <laughs> I, because I've always said yes. I've said yes yeah. to so many things. And I found myself, frankly, exhausted and run down and not able to follow my own advice or the advice I give my patients. Um, and I love, I mean, here's the thing is the yeses came from great places. I love my work. Mm-hmm. I love the opportunities I get. Um, and I don't like the feeling of being exhausted and worn down from something that I love so much. So, uh, it's my attempt at finding some level of moderation. Uh, and it's been actually very shockingly helpful to me. Um, I heard someone else, a friend of mine talk about how she puts her word of the year on a bracelet. And then when she's faced with a decision, she like looks down at the bracelet. Um, I am bracelet less. I think just a bracelet with the word no on it might be kind of intense, I mean, and I'm intense as it is. So we're, we don't, we try not to maximize that so much. Um, but I do kind of mentally check in with my wrist when I'm faced with a decision. And so at least no is in, in the options. I would say that no had, has not always been in, in the options, uh, which as I say in many trainings means that yes, doesn't mean shit. If no is not an option. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's been great, like shockingly great for me. I would imagine a little bit scary at first, um, oh, but scary, liberating. Yeah. Yes. Yes to all. Um, <laughs> yes to all. And if I'm really fighting with the no in a way that I'm like, it, it just gives me more freedom to actually make a choice instead of just saying yes off the bat and then having to deal with the consequences of 8 million yeses that I said in January all the way through December. <laughs> yeah. And how can I get out of it now without right. making everybody? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. We'll see. I recommend um, it. Yeah, I, I saw it. I, I remember like just having a scroll through Instagram and I came across that post that you did about it. And it literally just made me go, oh, did you read revolutionary? The people were very into it. And some people have already tried. No, some a lot of people picked ease um, and enough, I think, which have very similar there. I think they have nicer connotations, automatic associations than no maybe does. Um, but it has been helpful and I have gotten better at it and it feels less uncomfortable the more I do it. Yeah. I remember coming across, um, something similar and I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody being offered the opportunity to do something and she declined saying, my plate is as full as I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was lovely as well. It's like boundaried, it's respectful, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. no, thank you. Here's why. But, you know, yeah. feel free to contact me next year and, and we'll see exactly. how it goes. You know, and clarity. There's there's kindness in clarity instead mm-hmm. of saying yes and then resenting it and resenting yeah. yourself as well. Totally. I'm a big fan of I don't currently have the capacity, but I would love for you to keep me in mind for the future. Yeah, exactly. Win-win. Mm-hmm. Christina Holland, where can people find out more about you? Can they follow you on social media? Where, where are all the things? Yes. Um, Instagram is great. So K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A is my first name, Christina.Holland, like the country, H-O-L-L-A-N-D on Instagram um, and on threads. Uh, although I'm less 
frequently on threads than on Instagram. Um, and then my website, which I already mentioned, and you're also more than welcome to send me an email, Christina at inclusivecarellc.com. I am going to finish up this. I'm going to quote you at you um, <laughs> because you are very quotable. Trauma-informed care is not just the way we provide the intervention. It is the intervention. That's exactly right. And I think that that sums it all up. Um, as anticipated, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Um, uh, I hope our paths cross again. Um, yes, I, I feel very confident that they will. Okay. Are you going to CSM? No, unfortunately not this year. Um, okay. But I, I believe in us, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> I have faith. We'll see each other again. <laughs> uh, Christina, thanks a million. And to everybody who's been listening, thanks so much for joining us. And I will see you on the next episode of the Celebrate New Liberty podcast. Bye for now and look after yourself. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you prefer to watch, all the videos of the interviews will be uploaded onto YouTube. If you'd like to learn more, there's a full suite of online courses on women's health, including courses on female pelvic pain rehab, female hormonal health, oncology rehab, and more. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Michelle Lyons underscore Muley for special offers and announcements. Until the next time, celebrate Muley Thanks for listening. Bye for now.